The series we're doing is on influence. So the question would be to start out probably what is influence? Probably a good, good place to start. Um, the dictionary defines it as influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. So what's a classic way to influence somebody? I think dares. I think that's like a really, like who was into dares? Was anyone ever like really into dares? Anyone ever dabble in double dares? Double dog dares? You ever go that deep? Yeah, it's, it's gnarly. So they're in, I gotta tell you guys a story in Florida. There was this kid, his name was 13, or his name wasn't 13 year old. Um, he was the 13 year old Russell Gortigues, or Gortzig, Russell Gortzig. One of, him and one of his friends were doing the age old tradition of imitating things they see on the internet. Has anyone ever tried to do something that they saw in a YouTube video? Okay. So these guys have been watching YouTube videos of people lighting themselves on fire. So. After watching a video on YouTube, he soaks himself in gasoline, at which point his friend dares him, hey, dude, hold up that lighter and snap it on. Just hold it right up to yourself and just flip it. And he's thinking, what can go wrong? So Russell draws on every bit of wisdom that a 13-year-old boy can muster, and he decides that uh, this is the only way I can possibly have a good afternoon right now is if I just follow through on this dare, just copy the YouTube video, and like flip the lighter. So he flicks the lighter, and... Basically, this is how he described to the news what happened to him lately, or what happened, what happened to him after. Um, he says, <clears throat> a combination of the sparks and fumes caught my shorts on fire. And to that, I just say, what? A combination of fumes and sparks? No, you set yourself on fire. Like, it wasn't like some weird, like, mystical combination of sparks and fire. You lit yourself up. So... Yeah, Russell was put in the hospital, several burns, and his mother sent an angry, angry letter to YouTube, which I don't even know how you send a letter to YouTube, but his mom got mad and said, how dare you not monitor all 78 billion of your videos to make sure that none of those videos can influence my 13-year-old in the wrong way. The point is sometimes we can be influenced by different things. We can be influenced by the media, videos, music, movies, apps, etc. Other times, we're influenced by people. I think a big influence that we see is uh, Justin Bieber, um, one of the most famous people on the planet. He's like number two on Twitter right now, second to Katy Perry. Uh, 81,235,713 followers. He, uh, on Instagram, has 67.5 million followers. And he's only following 80 people. You know you're cool when you have 67 million followers, but you're like, well, I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> only going to follow 80 people. Um, the guy has the world at his fingertips because when he sings, stadiums listen. What he wears defines fashion. When he performs, the president and his kids come to the concerts. And when he campaigns for a cause, people donate. And when he uploads music, people download it. It's clear that so many people are influenced by this guy. You know, we see it in style, we see it in clothes, we see it in hair, uh, we see it in hashtags and poses. Like Justin Bieber's influence is all over the place, even in food. There was a tweet that Justin Bieber put out where he says, I love Doritos. <laughs> and people's response, like you look at like all these girls responding and it's like, OMG, I love Doritos too. It's a sign, you and me, like forever Doritos, hashtag hungry for you. Like just, yeah, it's, there was one girl, this is her response. She says, crying, crying right now. OMG, so many years passed, but we are still here. So many emotions, I can't handle this. That was her response to the Dorito tweet. <laughs> Made her really emotional. It's been a long journey with Bieber and the Doritos. Um, he's definitely an influencer. He's somebody who shapes lives. He's somebody who changes the world. And, and that's something we want to be as well. 
I mean, everyone wants to be somebody. Everyone wants to make an impact. There's like this folksy little story that I read where it says, once upon a time, a young man set out to change the world. Before long, he discovered that the world was far too big for one person to change, so he decided to just change his country. Crooked politicians and special interest groups unfortunately thwarted his efforts, so he decided to change his neighborhood. But his neighbors simply closed the doors and shut their windows, so he decided to change his family. Instead of changing, his children rebelled and his wife threatened a divorce, and things only got worse. Finally, the man decided to change himself, and when he did that, he was able to finally change the world. The reality is everyone wants to change, but nobody wants to change, and the saying is revival has to start in the heart. If you want to change your school, if you want to change your family, if you want to change your surroundings, you have to go to God first and say, what do you want me to change? But that's where being a follower of Jesus comes in because as a follower of Jesus, we're all about change, guys. It's all about repentance. It's all about us starting out in darkness and sin and the light of Christ changing us. So once we're changed, what do we do with the light? Well, if you're following along on uh, our website with the notes, uh, Matthew 5, 16 says this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. <laughs> it's all about letting our light shine. So today we're gonna to talk about how to be a good influence. That's how we're gonna start off. I want you guys to write this down and remember it if you're taking notes. If you're taking notes on your phone, it's awesome to have a little note-taking device in your pocket to like review for later. Um, I wanna challenge you guys, just, just to throw this out here, if you've never done this, try this. Take notes tonight during the message on your phone. Like it doesn't have to be word for word everything I say, but just anything that God says that speaks out to you where you're like, whoa, I like that. Write it down, go home, before you go to bed, pray about it really quick. I'm telling you, stuff like that changes my life. Um, so write this down and remember it. In a world full of negatives, be the positive. In a world full of negatives, you be the positive. Every minute of every day, life hands us like multiple choice tests, pop quizzes, like right in front of us, there are choices that need to be made. And it's not always easy. Young people are often told this, like how many times have you heard this? Um, your choices are important. Your friends that you choose are important. Your activities and your hobbies and the things that you do in your own time, those are important choices. So many times you're told, as young people, avoid negative influence, but that's a warning that a lot of times doesn't come with any instruction. It's just like, hey, stay away from bad influences, and that's all you hear. And in life, no matter how young or old we are, we face positive and negative influences. In fact, we act as positive and negative influences on one another. The best way to choose and live with positive influence is to be the positive influence that you want others to be. Did you catch that? The best way to choose and live with positive influences in your life is that you be the positive influence that you feel like you need. And once you start being that influence for other people, you're gonna start drawing other people who are positive influences, excuse me, into your life. Positive influences attract others. Don't wait for others to step up. You be the change. The key to avoiding bad influences is that you be a good one yourself. And maybe you get it. Like maybe you're listening to me and you're like, oh yeah, I get that. Like maybe you realize the importance of being a leader and you'd rather be a leader than a follower. Like, you know, when you see sheep walking off cliffs because the one in front walked off a cliff, you can look at them and go, those sheep are stupid. Like what the heck? Sheep are like the dumbest animal. The one in the front walks off and everyone follows. Well, humans are the same way. And maybe, maybe seriously, like this is how I felt a lot of times in school. I'd see my friends doing that. I'd see my friends walking away from Jesus. I'd see my friends making mistakes. And it was always the most popular one in the front leading. And I'd realize like, man, like that guy is just leading everyone to follow the enemy. Like I, I wanna be a leader. I wish I had influence. I wish I could impact other people to follow Jesus instead of walking off that cliff. The reality is, here's the reality. 
if you want to be a leader, if you're sitting here and you're like, I want to be a good influence, like I totally do. People can never be biblical leaders and truly mature until they come to realize God has called them to be an example for others. You get that? Like until you realize that like, it's not just like this like folksy little church advice we give out like, oh yeah, be a good influence. You have to realize that God has called you, young person in this circle, no matter who you are, you've been called by God to be his ambassador, his example for others. In Luke 640, Jesus says, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone when fully trained will be like his teacher. So what, what does that mean? Well, I think when we look at the passage, what it's saying is our godliness or lack of godliness is revealed by our actions. If we're not following Jesus, our teacher, then our actions will, or if we are following Jesus, sorry, if we are following Jesus, who is our teacher, then our actions will reflect his. If we're not following Jesus, our actions are not gonna look like Jesus's actions. What's in the heart is reflected by the actions. We're not greater than our master. Jesus is our master. We'll never be as great as him, but if we follow in his footsteps, we'll be trained up. It's hard to serve Jesus with our actions because often we are so influenced to only care about ourselves. Like for instance, like this is a totally example of how I so often only care about myself. This isn't me telling you like, oh, teenagers today only care about themselves. No, this is me, your youth pastor. Just yesterday, I'm sitting in the terrace room, I'm studying and I hear a crazy homeless lady like yelling. We get them all the time in Vista. There's like, ah, 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 the French aliens are coming down to invade Vietnam. Like they're just yelling stuff. I'm serious. So I hear this and I look out the window and there's this lady and she's like walking down the street and she's like, like jerking around and stuff and yelling this stuff. You know what my reaction is? It's, oh, I should film her and like put some music behind it because she's doing like funky dance moves. That, and I should post it on Instagram. That was my reaction. You know what that is? Like, that's because honestly, if we, if you really think about it, your generation and my generation, what we've been influenced by is other people's pain is my entertainment. Think about it. Fail blogs. Like how many of us have gone on epic fail websites and watched someone eat it and laugh at them? That's how, that's what we're trained to do. We look at other people and their pain is our gain. But conviction in my heart from Jesus told me mental illness is a huge deal. Like I shouldn't be laughing at this woman's pain just cause she's jerking around and making crazy motions and yelling funny stuff. No, like she's, she's sick. Like I need to pray for her. I need to, it's not always fun. <laughs> it's, it's way more fun to do what our instincts tell us to do. It's not so much fun sometimes to go with what the Lord tells us to do, but it's right. It's so right. So I took a moment and prayed for her instead of laughing at her. We're called to be influential or we're, listen guys, we're called to be influenced by Jesus. And it's so hard to be like him because a servant who doesn't think of himself is who Jesus is. He's a servant who doesn't think of himself. Following Jesus is like allowing yourself to be a character in a story someone else has written. It flies in the face of the society and culture we live in today. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, it's all people saying, I am my own master. I am putting out the best version of myself for you to see. I'm completely fabricating my world. Like the way that we treat social media it really puts us in a, in a position where we feel like we control our life. Like at school, you can't always control the way you look. Um, how many of you guys hate when someone like takes a Snapchat picture of you in a really unflattering pose and like posts it and everyone laughs at you? Anyone ever? Happens to me all the time. Christian Notosh takes pictures of me all the time yes. and posts them. Um, but with, when your own social media, you can control the presentation. You can be the master of your life. A guy that I like who's an author, Bill Clem, he said this, our world is saturated with the autonomy of the individual and we simply don't like to think that we are not in control of our own destiny. 
Listen, guys, God wants to use your life to influence the world, but we can't do that if we're focused on ourselves. Think of a seed. Like, if I have a seed, you know, a seed that's supposed to grow into a tree, but I just put it on my counter and it just chills on my counter for 10 years, is that going to do anything? No. A seed has to go in the ground to have an effect. 1 Corinthians 15, 36 tells us that a seed has to go in the ground and die before it grows. Have you ever thought about that? Like a seed literally has to go in the ground and cease, like all of the life is drained out of it. But then what comes up is a tree and it produces fruit. The same is for us. As followers of Jesus, we're called to die to self before we grow. We're called to lay down our life and our wants and our desires and and then live in Christ, which is more life than living for yourself would ever be. Once you die to yourself, you can start influencing others for Christ. You know, there's a great verse, um, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says this, check it out or read it if you're following along. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What does that verse mean? It means Jesus is coming back soon. So let's not sit around. Let's stir one another up. Let's encourage one another. Let's encourage one another. Hey, you, like love, love others. Hey, you, do good works. Not like out of some like laundry list you have to do for God. God gives you a list of errands and you have to go run them. No, do good works because you love Jesus and you wanna bless him. Do things to help other people, not just live for yourself. And it says not neglecting to meet together. So practically, I mean, this gathering that we have on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings or in, and some of you guys go to other youth groups and other churches on different days of the week. Those things are awesome. You can tell people, you can influence your friends like, hey, come with me on Wednesday night. We're gonna hang out. It's gonna be awesome. And you can bring somebody who maybe they wouldn't have come that night because you brought them there. They heard something that God really wanted them to hear and now their life has changed. I told you last week um, about Brian Barrett, my old counselor, who would show up my house and just like knock on my door and say, hey, let's go, let's go serve. I'm like, what are you talking about? And next thing you know, we're like pulling weeds and going to old folks' homes and like singing to senior citizens. And it's one of those things where it's like, that's never how I would expect to have my Saturday go, but I was so glad that I went and it impacted me and it stuck with me forever. I will never forget the influence that that guy had on me. And it wasn't like Brian and I hung out every day. He took me out probably about four or five times. But those four or five times will stick with me forever and impact and influence me. There's a quote by someone named Rumi. I don't know who Rumi is, but it's a cool name. But he or she, I have no idea, says, set your life on fire, seek those who fan your flame. I think it's awesome. As Christians, we should set ourselves on fire. There's an old quote, as a Christian, you should light yourself on fire and the world will come to watch you burn for Christ. It doesn't mean literally jump in the fire pit, but what it does mean is you get excited about Jesus and other people will be drawn to that. But I think that's an important part of it. If you want the fire to last, you need people around you who will fan the flames. You need people around you who aren't gonna let your fire die. People who are going to be so awesome and so encouraging that that fire is going to spread all around in your heart. Um, so I heard this story about, um, there was all these like teenage girls, your age, who, uh, basically were, you know, doing drugs and just being sketchy, doing stuff that wasn't right. And their parents were basically like, we're fed up with you. Like we can't handle you. So we got to send you somewhere. So they sent them to a rehab camp and, um, it was run by Christians, 
But these people were not good Christians because the people who ran this camp were like abusive, violent counselors. They were brainwashing these girls. Like it was gnarly. It was not, a, it was, it was a like weird thing that was going on. And so these girls like hated it. Like um, these weren't like loving Christian counselors who came and encouraged them and told them about Jesus. Basically all they did was like make them work and like beat them up and hit them. And it was, it was a bad environment. So one of the, like one of the groups of girls got together and like, we got to bust out of here. Like, we got to get out of here. Like, this is not a good situation. So um, they're trying to figure out a way to break out. And their plan that they came up with was um, tonight, when all the counselors come into the room um, in the bunk beds, we're going to start doing that song from Queen, We Will Rock You. And we're going to, like, start stomping, like the stomp, stomp, clap or whatever. I don't know, weird plan, but that's what they thought. So everyone's like, yes, we're going to do it. This is going to be awesome. Well, that night, the counselors come in and tell the girls good night. And everyone's like waiting for someone to start and like no one's doing it. And they're all like, oh, like we're supposed to break out tonight, but like no one's brave enough to start the stomp clap. And then finally one girl, like very like shyly is like stomp, stomp, clap. And then like four other girls join in. And before you know it, the whole cabin is going crazy. Then someone knocks over a lamp and breaks it and the lights go out and the counselors start panicking and the kids all run for the door. And I read that one girl like jumped down the stairs and one of the counselors grabbed her by her hair. And it was, it was just gnarly, gnarly stuff. Um, the, yeah, don't go to rehab camps, guys. Um, listen, in, listen though. In the same way, in the same way, the enemy, your enemy, the devil, he's constantly trying to abuse, control, and brainwash you. He's lying to you and your friends, and he's causing them to give in and let sin rule their lives. And the question is, who's going to be the first to start following Jesus? In your group of friends, who's going to be, I'm not talking about you privately following Jesus by yourself. I'm not talking about you just having your own little personal relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about who is going to be the first to say, hey, let's stand up for the Lord. Let's read our Bibles and like talk about it. When one of us sins, like let's actually like be honest with one another and like call each other out because we think sin is poisonous. And if we're real friends, we're not going to let friends die from sin. Friends don't let friends die from sin. That's a saying people should say. It's always the hardest to go first, but once you do, the fire spreads. There's a guy um, who was a friend of mine. His name was Dan Chalison. I was telling my small group this last week. Um, basically, I'll make this a short story, but um, one day at school at Calvary, uh, we didn't have a teacher. There's no teacher in the room. And everyone thought, party, sweet. We can throw paper airplanes. We can pass notes. We can get on our phones. We had a sweet little flip phone back then. So all we could do is just like text people. And there, we didn't like have anyone in our phones to text because we all went to a little dinky Christian school. So, you know, it was lame. But we all wanted to party. And everyone was just having a good time. Well, Dan Chalison, this uh, high school junior, steps up in front of the class and says, hey, guys, can I share with you what God has done in my life lately? And he just starts talking about Jesus. And we're all sitting there and we're like, oh my gosh, there's no teacher forcing us to do this. This is amazing. Like this guy just gets up in front of everybody and just shares about the Lord. And before you know it, another person went up and another person. And 45 minutes later, the whole class had been spent with these teenage kids sharing with one another about what God did in their life. It was something I'll never forget. And it spoke to me about how my faith needs to be my own, not just what my teachers and parents make me do. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens friends. So what happens if a blade's not sharpened? It gets dull. 
And we sing worship songs with these epic titles, but what's actually in our heart? Um, back in the 90s, they used to have these worship albums that came out called Wow Worship. Anyone remember Wow Worship? It's like the compilation albums. Um, someone on the internet, I found it, it was so classic. They made a joke album called Meh Worship. Instead of Wow, it was Meh. So instead of Revelation song, it was Relaxation song, the song where you just you know close your eyes and just kind of drift into sleep. Uh, instead, of some, or instead of One Thing Remains, it was Something Remains. Um, instead of Forever Rain, it was like For Right Now Rain, For Right Now. Um, there's Your Love Usually Prevails. Instead of Oceans, it was Puddles Where My Feet May Splash. Um, there was I Surrender Most. Uh, pretty good, pretty good father. And then Build Your Kingdom Over There. Um, I think that's... That's so true. Like, seriously, like that. a lot of times we're singing one thing, but our heart is actually meh worship. We don't really mean it with the actions going on in your life. And so my question for you is, do you feel dull in your spiritual walk? Do you feel like your friends are dull too? Do you look around and you're like, yeah, like none of us are really going for it for Jesus. Like on, you know, on the outside, like we look like we're kind of following the Lord. Like we're reading our Bibles in the morning, kind of, or, you know, whatever. We post a verse on Instagram every once in a while and it gets a couple of likes. But when it comes to actually following Jesus in tangible ways, you realize you're not really doing it. I want to challenge you. If you're looking at your friend group and you see that in your friend group, it doesn't mean that you're all terrible people and you're going to hell. It just means you're human and you've fallen into a human dullness. And you have to remember that God has called you to be more than human. He's called you to step up and be more than just an average human. You're called to be a follower of Christ. And I'm not saying this to yell down on you because I need to hear this too. You know what? My favorite people in my life are the friends who every time I talk with them, man, I just get sharpened. I feel like, man, I want to follow Jesus better after I talk to this person. And if your only friends that you have like that are counselors here at this group, man, like I said, if you're looking at your friend group and you're bummed that you guys aren't acting like that, you be the change. You be the first one to start sharpening. Watch what happens. Sharpen one another. How can you do it? Practically, pray for one another, share your struggles, talk about what Jesus is showing you, Text each other what you're reading in your Bible or start an Instagram group and just start posting with each other like what God's showing you. Um, and then when, when someone sins, call them out. In Galatians 6, 2, says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of what? It's the law of, it's an L word, the law of love. The law of Christ is the law of love. Love one another, bear one another's burdens. Such a great way to be an influence for Christ. So many times we hear about something going, someone going through something, and our response is like, have you ever, how many of you have ever had this happen? Um, you're going through something rough, you talk to somebody about it, and their response is like, oh man, that's rough, I'll be praying for you. Has anyone ever had that happen to them? Raise your hand. Yeah? Okay, now how many of you guys have ever said that to somebody? Raise your hand. Now how many of you guys have ever told someone that you'd pray for them and then you totally didn't? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. So how about this? Like, how about this? Like, what if, what if we started when people came to us and told us about their rough stuff? What if instead of just going, oh, this is so sad, I'll pray for you. What if we said, bro, let's pray right now. Like, hey, let's stop everything. Let's drop everything and let's pray right now. What a great influence we could be on people in our lives. Um, I heard this story about a guy named Will. And um, he was a high school kid. One of my youth pastor's friends um, had this kid in his group named Will. And Will was a wrestler. Anyone wrestle? Anyone do wrestling at school? Are you really? Dude, really? You put on a little outfit and everything? Dude, that's awesome. Do you wear the mask? Dude, nacho. Um, so Will was a wrestler. And at a wrestling match, 
His iPad was stolen by some students from the opposite team. Yeah. And not only did they steal it, but they broke it. They completely destroyed it. I don't know if they like dropped it on accident while they were running away or if they were just like, let's steal something really expensive and instead of using it, we'll just like break it. <laughs> Destruction's rad. I don't know. But Will ends up sharing his story at a uh, youth group. So he's just sitting in a group like this. He tells everybody like, man, can you guys pray for me? Like someone broke my iPad and stole it. So lame. The rest of the kids in that group, without even telling their pastor, he had no idea until after, they all got together, raised the money and bought him a new iPad. So rad. Like such a rad way to bear one another's burdens. I want to ask you guys, when you look at people in this group, in your, like think of even your direct friend group, the people you hang out with the most, when they're going through things, is your thought, I'm not going to let them go through this alone. Let's pray. What can I do for help? And then like even the people in this group that you're not close with, the people that aren't in your, like, your uh, tight friend group, do you think of them as family, the way God calls you to, where you're still like, man, I don't want, even though I only talked to that guy once this year, like I don't want him to go through this alone. Like he's, he's in my family, the family of Christ. It's amazing when we bear one another's burdens. And I know that there's, I know, I know there's guys you here who realize I am called to be a leader. And you're all called to be leaders, but not all of you realize it or acknowledge it yet. But maybe you're even thinking of these new freshmen coming into our group. Maybe you're thinking like, man, we're going to get all these like sweet little like gnarly freshmen rolling in to our group. So rad. We need to ask with that in mind, with these freshmen, with these ninth grade, young, fresh out of junior high kids, we need to all ask every single one of us, what is the goal of a leader? Is the goal of a leader to make sure that you're better than everyone else, to make sure you're top dog and everyone respects you and looks up to you? Is it to make sure you're always pointing out the sins of other people and that's what a leader looks like? You're always looking down and saying, well, you need to be spiritual like me. Is the point of being a leader to use other people to get what you want, to boss them around so that they do what you want? No, check it out. The ultimate goal of a leader must always be to help others become imitators of Christ. And it's not just something I made up. It's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul says, be imitators of me, just as I also am an imitator of Christ. Are we imitating Jesus with our lives? Um, there's a rad story. How many of you guys know the story of Elijah? Anybody in the Bible? Elijah? Wow. Come on, guys. More of you guys know Elijah, right? Okay, now what about Elisha? Anybody? It'd be weird if more people raised their hand for Elisha than Elijah. I'd be like, what the heck? Like, did you guys, were you sick that day in children's ministry? Um, so... In the, book of, uh, in the book of two kings, just kidding, second kings. I did a little Donald Trump thing right there. Um, in the book of second kings, um, Elijah, he's at the end of his life, okay? You should go and read the, I think it's second kings chapter two. You should read this story. It's awesome. I just talked about it at the men's breakfast. Um, so Elijah is this old man. He is basically, he is a prophet of God. He is amazing. He does all these miracles. Um, his biggest miracle was what? Calling down what from heaven? Fire. He has a fire pit and he calls fire down from heaven and God sends the fire. It's amazing. Elijah spent his whole life standing up for God. There was a time where Elijah was the only person in his country who followed God. Imagine that. Everyone, like not just like, you know, in America today, we have like some people who say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. I'm talking about you are the only Christian left in your country. And then what Elijah did was it'd be like if uh, everyone in America was not a Christian, you were the last one and you went to the president and you challenged him and said, president, we're going to go up to Mount Everest 
And we're gonna have cameras there. We're gonna have lights there. We're gonna get a huge Olympic sized crowd there. And we're gonna have a showdown and you're gonna get your best prophets to come down and they're gonna do their thing and, and they're gonna call on your false gods. And if they can have fire come down, I'll just say, yeah, God doesn't exist. Jesus doesn't exist. Do whatever you want. But if I ask God to bring fire down, then you gotta tell everyone they need to follow my God. That's what Elijah did. He went to his king and challenged him in front of the entire nation. So they do it. They have this crazy contest. They all go up on the mountain. It says that the entire nation of Israel was gathered there watching. And um, the prophets of Baal, Baal was this false god that they had. The prophets of Baal come out. And basically their routine is um, kind of like what you might see at a pep rally at your school. They did this awkward like dance, cheer, scream combination. And then like it's not working. Like they're dancing and they're cheering and they're doing flips and backflips and all this stuff. And then it gets so bad. Like they're, well, okay, it's actually really funny. They're, they're doing cheers and dances and flips. That doesn't work. Then it says they prophesied until noon. So I don't know what that means. Like if they're just like, I'm getting something, I'm getting a vision. The fire will come down in five minutes and then it passes. And like, okay, uh, that was wrong. Uh, I'm prophesying that in 10 minutes it'll come down. And it said they did that for hours from morning till noon. Worst pep rally ever. <laughs> then it gets really weird because they start cutting themselves Literally, in the Bible, they start just cutting themselves and then dancing and flailing around, so it's just a bloodbath. It's like the, everyone is just cutting themselves and jumping around, and blood is everywhere. It, it was, it's weird. Old Testament gets weird, okay? Elijah has a completely different strategy. Here's what he does. Elijah goes, so there's an altar. You guys know about altars, right, in the Bible? Yeah. Altars are used for what? Sacrifices, right? Cows. cows. Sacrificing cows to the Lord, okay? So the altar... The altar on that mountain, just like all the altars are the altars in Israel, had been torn down. King Ahab had said, we don't need altars. We don't need to worship God. Tear them down. Elijah starts by building the altar back up. He builds that altar and he says, listen, guys, I'm trying to make a point to you that as a country, we need to take worship to the Lord serious. So I'm going to take that altar that had been torn down and I'm going to build it back up. How many of you guys have altars in your life? Places that used to be full of worship, but you tore them down because you put something else in its place. Such a good point from Elijah. The next thing that he does is he pours water on the altar, like so much water. So how many of you guys have ever been involved in starting the fire here? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. So like, imagine that you're trying to start the fire. You've got the wood You've got the lighter fluid, you've got the laundry lint, all the stuff we use, the leaves and the twigs and all that stuff. And I come up with like a fire hose. I'm just like, hey guys, before you do any of that, and I just like do all of it on the fire pit, like just everywhere. And then I'm like, wait, it's not enough. And I do like the stumps and then the shed for some reason and the trees. And then I just aim the hose up in the air and just get the whole backyard. That's what Elijah did basically. It said he poured like seven jugs of water, like just huge, giant pitchers of water on the altar. Why did he do that? He was trying to prove, like, I can't do this. Like, this isn't like, oh, I'm Elijah, the mystical wizard, and I'm going to summon fire. No, he was trying to prove only God can do this. It's such a rad story. And so after pouring all the water, everyone's like, what is this guy thinking? Like, fire's not going to come. Like, there's no way. Well, Elijah goes up, and he says a simple prayer. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's just like, Lord, we know only you can do this. You're amazing. You're our God, Yahweh. Please send the fire. Thank you, Lord. Fireballs from heaven come down. And it says that not only did it light the altar on fire, the fire actually completely consumed the altar and the ground around it and left a crater there. It's, it's crazy. 
So that's Elijah. That's his testimony. Elijah is this amazing man of God. And so he's got this young guy named Elisha who looks up to him. And Elisha was influenced by Elijah. He wanted to imitate Elijah because Elijah was an imitator of God. And so Elijah, in the Bible, if you read in the book of 1 Kings, Elijah did 14 miracles. He, was, he probably did more, but the Bible records 14 miracles. So when Elijah was about to die, God told him, hey, Elijah, check this out. You're not just gonna go out in like a falling down or dying in your sleep thing. You are going to go out in a blaze of glory. I'm gonna send a fiery chariot to come pick you up, going out in style. So Elisha, his servant, his friend, his apprentice, he says, you know what, man, I'm coming with you. And so Elisha was so influenced by him that he walked with him for 12 hours in the desert so that he could see him go. Imagine walking with someone for 12 hours in the burning desert. So after the journey, after he's walked with him, Elijah turns to his young apprentice and says, my son, what can I do for you before I go? And this is awesome. Please pay attention if you're not paying attention, okay? So Elisha could have said, hey man, like since you offered, like you're not gonna need your money anymore. Like, can I have your cash? Like that would really help me. I'm like a struggling prophet. You know, we don't make much. Like that'd be rad, man. Um, He could have said like, hey, what about your house? Like, you don't need that. You're not, you're not gonna be living. You're getting a sweet heavenly home. Like, why, you, you don't have a wife. You don't have kids. Like, leave me your home. You know what he asks? This is what he says. He says, no, I don't want your money. I don't want your house. Give me twice as much of the Holy Spirit as you have. That's rad. That's so rad. Like, can you imagine? Like, can any of us say that if we were about to die and we asked our friend, like, hey, what can I do for you? Your friend would be like, dude, can you pray for me that I would have twice as much of the Holy Spirit as you do? I don't, know if, I don't know if I feel like anyone would ask me that, but I look at that and like, that's what I want. Like, I want people to look at me and see God's spirit so much in me that they would ask like, dude, can you pray for me that I would have twice as much of the spirit as you? And this is rad. Okay, check this out. I love this, okay? This is so good. Um, Elijah in the Bible, he did 14 miracles that we see that are recorded. Guess how many that Elisha is recorded doing? 28 twice as many and that's not something the bible spells out the bible's like not like no uh, just to mention elisha did uh, 14 remember how he asked for twice as much of the spirit yeah <laughs> elisha did 28 like it doesn't spell it out if you but if you read the bible and you, you count the miracles he, he did twice as much it's it's so it's so cool and so the question to ask is are people imitating you like are they looking at you and they want to be like you well here's the answer like honestly that question yeah people are imitating you whether you're a good influence or a bad one, someone is imitating you. And so another question is, is people imitating you, making them more like Jesus, or is it drawing them more into sin? Because we're constantly influencing people. 